This week's episode of the Getting to Know podcast is brought to you by the Getting to Know platform. Nina is a global organization made up of diverse businesses and people. We have a number of ways to help our audiences understand who, what, and where Nina is and what we do. Internal resources include new employee onboarding materials, our global intranet connect, activities designed to help employees get to know each other, and external tools like this podcast. Want to know more? Visit our website, or if you're an employee, check out Connect. Hey, everyone. It's Mike Rickheim. Thanks for joining us today for another edition of the Getting to Know podcast. Today, I'm joined by my former colleague and friend, and now colleague again, our newly minted general manager of our Packaging and Sustainable Solutions business unit, Mr. Carl Asher. Carl, welcome to the Getting to Know podcast. Thank you. Thank you on, on both front, fronts. Uh, pleasure to be here. Uh, looking what, forward to a good conversation. What have the early days been like for you, Carl? Uh, they've been they've been good, uh, really good. The first 30 days was, you know, a lot of virtual meetings, a lot of one-on-ones, just getting to know the immediate team. And then as things moved out, the extended team. So I feel like I have a, a good lay of the land. Even got to go out to uh, Wisconsin two weeks ago now and, and visit the mills. You know, as things have moved on, I think starting to sell into what would be the day-to-day GM role, um, just managing the business as, as, as well as we can and dealing with a lot of short-term things, but trying to keep an eye towards the long-term and be more strategic about how we evolve the business. So it's been good. It certainly hasn't been slow, uh, really dynamic so far. So that's good. So what categories are in your official remit, Carl? Let me get the right terminology. The business unit is packaging sustainable solutions. And so I, I look at it as kind of a division of two businesses. One is our current business, which is uh, really focused on packaging. So we have wide format, we have labels, we have folding board, we have gift cards. Um, those are the core kind of categories within the packaging. And then we also have sustainable solutions, which is we've got a couple current product projects, but it's really about trying to think about the future of, of the business and how we can develop a sustainable platform and have specific products under it that lend itself to, to the sustainable position that, that we've taken. And in that area, it's a lot of new development. And so we've got some interesting things that we're trying to work on, uh, probably be launching one this year, but the plan is the next three to five years to have an entire portfolio of, of sustainable products um, that, that we can offer to the market. That's great. That's great. So you're in the general manager role today, and I know you've had uh, kind of general management types of responsibilities before, um, but you've got a kind of varied background, right? So you, you've spent time in channel marketing and product marketing. Did you do some, some sales planning or something like that as well? Most of my career has been in marketing in one way or another. Most of what I've done has been brand management. And as you know from, from Newell, Brand management was defined really on two fronts. One is product development and innovation. I mean, that's probably 60% of, of the job, just trying to figure out what's the, the key consumer insights that, that you can see in the market and then how can you develop products against those to keep growing the category and growing your business. And then the other is what I think of as integrated marketing. And so how do you communicate about those products across all the platforms that exist today and that's been most of, of my background. I did that at Newell and also did that at uh, Kimmy Clark. 
but my most recent role was in a strategic uh, sales role. And so managing a large account for the Kimberly, Kimberly Clark business, where you really got to do, you know, frontline selling, but also just think larger about how uh, the Kimberly Clark business and the customers that we sold to can kind of work together to, to grow um, their respective businesses. So, so mostly brand management and then most recently sales, which I think makes for a, a good uh, GM background because you kind of get to see things from, from, from both sides. Yeah, for sure. So most recently with Kimberly Clark, a couple different divisions of Newell Rubbermaid before that, and you started your, your first role was in a consumer facing organization too, right? Yes. Depending on how far we want to go back, my, my first role was really in advertising. What I wanted to be, I guess, when I was in college was kind of madman. That was what I, what I thought life was going to be all about. And so I wanted to get into advertising. It just seemed, you know, super creative, but I wasn't a, a creative person, but I wanted to be around the creatives because I just thought they were really cool. Advertising just drew me and, you know, used to watch and analyze ads and just figure out like, you know, how are they made and uh, what goes into it. And I started my, my, my career in advertising. It was, it was great. I was in account management, which is kind of like, you know, you're the client facing uh, person of the agency, but it's also easy to get burned out in advertising, especially when you're young, you know, advertising agencies, bring people in really young, burn them out. And then a few stay on and, and move up and others just move out. And for me, um, I moved out, but moved on to business school. And then I started my brand management career with, with Newell Rubmate after that. Gotcha. So your more recent experience has been B2B, had B2C earlier in the career. What, what's the biggest difference in how you go about what it is you do every day? And, and you, I used to think there was a huge difference between B2B and, and B2C, and, and there really isn't. I think at the end of the day, you're trying to figure out who are you serving with your product or service what makes them them tick and how can you make sure that what you're offering resonates best with them and that dynamic is the same whether in b2b or b2c i think the one difference is really how you go about doing that and for me in b2c it was a lot more emotionally driven aspirationally driven there are aspects of that in b2b but b2b tends to be more functionally driven. And so you're trying to quantify things in a, in a more um, direct way and you know, oftentimes help people understand how they can improve their businesses as opposed to improve their, their personal lives. And so the, the way you go about it, I've seen is different, even though both a very functional and emotional play can work just as well in B2B as in, in B2C. I think, I think the market is, is evolving on the fact that they're very different spaces because a lot of the same techniques, I think, work in both spaces. So as you are well aware, the Getting to Know podcast is an audio experience. So I'm sure the listening audience is, is thinking, that's a really cool accent I'm detecting from Carl, but I don't think that's a Southern accent, right? Like, what, 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 what am I picking up on there, Carl? Talking right before we started, and I, I've been in Atlanta, I think this is my 12th year. I consider Atlanta home now, but uh, my accent is uh, just a blend of different places I've lived. So I, I was born in Ghana, lived there till I was five, and then I lived in England for six years after that. And then I lived in um, DC in the Maryland area for most of my life when I moved to the US. 
And so it's funny, since I've been in Atlanta, people, a lot of people say my accent sounds like I'm from New Jersey, which is a place I've never lived. But I think that just that combination of <laughs> the dialects and the, the, the accents have merged somehow into a, a Jersey accent. People always place it the Northeast, but, um, you know, I don't consider Maryland or D.C. the Northeast. It's a weird hybrid of, of accents. <laughs> I, I think I was among those. I, I didn't realize that background. And I, I too, I think we had this conversation. I thought you were either like a Jersey or Philly guy. So when you said Ghana by way of the UK, you can count me as having been surprised. So family still in the UK, everybody in the US, people back in Ghana. What's the, what's the story there? Still a lot of family in Ghana. A lot of Ghanaians and, and even Africans in general do a lot of migration to Europe. So we have some family members in not just UK, but, but across Europe. And then my most immediate family is 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 here in the U.S. or up and down, I guess, the Atlantic coast from New York down to I'm I'm the probably the most southern, so down to Atlanta. I got uh, four sisters and uh, two brothers, and I don't know how many nieces and nephews at this point, all spread up and down the East Coast. So we try and get together whenever possible, and I look forward to actually seeing them this summer for the first time in a while. So talk to us about the family that you actually live with here in in Atlanta, the the, the wife and the kids. Yeah, so my, my wife, Heather, she is, she's a little bit of a unicorn that she's born and bred in Atlanta. As you know, being down here, everybody's from somewhere else, but you know, she went away to school, but she's, every time we run into people, she, she knows the entire city because she's lived all around Atlanta. Um, so Heather's a, a lawyer. She works in corporate law right now. Just started a new job actually last September. I can tell she's enjoying it because she seems a lot less stressed. And then we have an eight-year-old son, Caden, and a five-year-old daughter, Kai. Caden's in elementary school, uh, second grade, and my daughter is in Montessori. I've never met two people least alike than the two of them. My son is just a raging lunatic, and my my daughter's just, you know, a summer breeze. <laughs> just like, just what do you want, what do you want to deal with today? Um, you can get both extremes from both of them, but they seem to interact pretty well. I mean, they, they, they fuss as siblings do, but something about the opposite seemed to attract with the two of them. It's, it's fun to watch them interact and grow. <laughs> as you talked about them being different, I, my first thought was, is one like Carl and one like Heather, but with the raging lunatic description, I, I think I'm going to skip that question. Just in the event that Heather listens to this, I, I don't need her bringing any kind of lawsuit against you or me. So what do you guys do for fun? I recall soccer being a big part of your life or the, the world's football. Is that in the mix? That's very much in the mix. My, my son plays on a, he plays on a pretty com competitive soccer team. And so most weekends we spend going to his games. They, we have a, a field pretty close to us, but you know, every now and then they'll travel probably an hour, an hour and a half out. When we're not doing that, we're just kind of hanging around the house. Like a lot of kids, they, they're into too many of these devices. So we just try and get them outside as much as possible. I think we picked up a lot of hiking during the COVID lockdowns, which was good because that's something they both enjoyed and I didn't think they would enjoy it as much. So we're pretty chill. My wife and I, when the kids are not bugging us, just like to relax, grab a good book, drink something and, uh, and just chill out. Your family's still living down in kind of inside the perimeter in Atlanta, right? So where, where do you go hiking up and down city streets or? No, the closest hiking trail to us, Emory University has a huge reserve 
on campus where that butts up to a lake. You're driving through campus and then you go down to this thing, you have to descend into it. And once you get there, you're literally in the middle of this forest and it's, the trail is so, you know, it's not like nicely maintained. It is like as, as rural as you can think of. And that's, that trail was pretty good. So we've done that one, but we've also spent a lot of time in the North Georgia mountains um, doing hikes at various parks uh, over over the summer. Those are always fun because, you know, I, I discover them and I always try and find, I think Georgia Hat does a good job of like rating their trails of like easy, intermediate and hard. And so I always have a good time finding easy and intermediate trails that I can do with the kids. My, my wife doesn't join us. She, she hates any outdoor activities. So it's usually we go up to like a cabin or something she sleeps in. I wake up early. I take the kids hiking, and then we come back and we, and, and we all hang out. Everybody wins in, in that situation. So, so Heather is doing in-house counsel. Was she in a, a firm before? She was. She was at um, when she first graduated from law school. She came um, back to Atlanta and worked at Austin Bird, which is a fairly big firm right downtown on Fourteenth and Peachtree Street. She was there for about six or seven years and like a lot of people got burnt out and started to, you know, look for in-house counsel jobs and, and bounced around at a few places. And I think finally landed somewhere that is very manageable for her. So it's been good. So I know from discussion that as the pandemic came upon us, you were still at Kimberly Clark, you were almost exclusively working from home, very little, if, if, if any, heading out to an office was, was Heather in there with you and the kids as well? Yeah, we, um, so I'd been working from home since 2018, three years into the pandemic. And then obviously Heather started work from home in March and, and then obviously they sent the kids home. And I'll tell you that April timeframe was just a disaster. You, you ended up being much more of a teacher than you thought you were going to be. Yeah. I think uh, a lot of school systems assumed it, 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 you know, you could kind of manage it, but it became a huge lift. And then when you had the raging lunatic, my son not responding well to my teaching, <laughs> my, my, my teaching strategies, all my, my wife's, it just made for a, a, a pretty toxic situation. So April was just rough. It was rough for us. It was rough for a lot of families, but I think over time we, we, we figured it out and credit to the school system when we all came back in August, September timeframe, they had a model that I think worked a lot better. And so the school year has been uh, very manageable and I, I give them a lot of credit for that. It's not easy. It wasn't easy. Would you consider yourself a, a planner? Cause I, I think there was a point in which I, um, I threw you a last minute curveball when we were going through the interview process. And I think Julie and I were supposed to meet with you for lunch and I shot you a, a note and said, Hey, something came up. You hadn't been out of the house a whole lot. You hadn't been up this way, but you you were ready to go for our noon lunch by like ten thirty. So are you? Is that who you are? You're 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 gonna be planful. I think in general, you know, I I grew up in a very regimented household. I told uh, Julie and a couple of the folks on the that call we had a, a couple of weeks ago that my father was very strict, and uh, me and my brothers all had chores and things we had to do and things were inspected and you know it was it to me looking at it now it was very military style and so you you had to be very regimented and purposeful in how you went about things and i think that has led to my being a, a planner and just trying to 
always be systematic about how I approach things and, and be process driven, sometimes to a fault, right? Because you, you, you got to be able to chill and relax sometimes, but that has stuck with me. It, it's good. I mean, it's good, I think, in business. And I think it's good in in personal life, too, because my wife is not that way. And you got to have you got to have the balance. So but I have been trying to learn to, especially over the course of the pandemic, just learn how to chill out and let things <laughs> let things happen. Yeah. But yes, I, I long winded answer. That is part of my, my nature. Nina has just very recently formally launched a, you know, a diversity, equity and inclusion platform. I know you've worked for, for larger companies and you know, we work together at one of those. It's It's been a crazy year and change, uh, particularly in the U.S. as it relates to that topic. You know, my experience anyway is a lot of companies, they, they try to do the right thing, but a lot of times it becomes a black, white, boy, girl thing. Your background is kind of the definition of diversity in my mind. And that, I mean, you've lived a bunch, bunch of different countries and a bunch of different cities in those countries, very, very different perspectives, experiences. How do you think about diversity when when it comes down to it like when you look at bringing a team together you look at trying to solve a problem like what goes through your mind in terms of true diversity you know i think my background lends itself to a lot of vantage points and and different answers to, to that question because there isn't one way that i look at it you know if i if i think about myself as an immigrant which i am Diversity and inclusion to me ultimately just means opportunity, right? Have a lot of folks that come to this country seeking better opportunities. And when you think about it in the diversity and inclusion context in a company, it's about opportunity and trying to recognize that if you want to grow as a business and you want the best people, we all know we've all recruited people and how hard it is to, to find the perfect person, it, it may be impossible, but if you open up the opportunity, I think you, you have more chance of, of doing that and getting the right people. So I look at it as, as are we creating the right opportunities for everyone whereby we can, we can get the, the best people. And there's so many, I think, platforms and ways to go about doing that, but, but that's what it boils down to, to for me is, is opportunity. And do, do people have equal access to that opportunity? Absolutely. And, and then, and then, you know, making sure that you've got kind of complementary skills and perspectives and experiences on, on the team. Yeah. You know, the, I'll just add that for me, one interesting thing that happened last year was obviously we had, you know, what a lot of folks call uh, a social reckoning and for other folks, it was like, well, yeah, this is this is how it's been. <laughs> a part of the the country may be waking up. Other part of the country's like, where have you been? What are you talking about? This is this is day to day. And the interesting that thing that happened in the business context for me was, you know, I was part of a, a eight nine person sales team, you know, senior level sales team, and our manager, who's also an African American, suggested that we start a book club. And you know, I jumped on it and I said, you know, I'll I'll take the reins, I'll take the lead. And we chartered a book club and we started, you know, reading books that spoke to social inequality, racial inequity, whatever kind of fit into that bucket of what was going on. And then as a group, we just discuss it. And, you know, I facilitated the discussions. For us, it was a way to just start having a conversation because I think diversity and, and inclusion, racial justice, 
these are such big topics for a lot of people. It's like, what, what can I do? What do I do? There's so much to tackle here. And for us, it was just like, you know, obviously the organization is going to have a perspective and they're going to try and do things. But as people, as individuals, the best thing we thought we could do was just talk to each other, but we didn't know how to start those conversations. And so the books became a catalyst for us to have conversations. And I try to facilitate the conversation so that we cover different topics each time, but it was, it was amazing. I actually was texting my old boss the other day and he said, you know, they just finished up their another book. So the fact that they continue to do it to me was extremely rewarding, you know, to bring it back to the, the organization, you can have your platform and you can have your, um, your goals as it relates to, uh, diversity and inclusion. But at the end of the day, you know, the people are the ones that are going to have to do the work. And so I think for us, you know, being able to have those conversations in that book club was was our little piece and our little contribution to, to trying to do the work. And I think companies have to think about it in that way. You, you can't boil the ocean um, when it comes to this subject. You have to be focused and figure out what your piece is and what you're going to stand on and just try and chip at, away at it in a small way. And if enough people do that, um, then I think that's that's how we have an impact. I, I hadn't heard the language social reckoning, but, but I, I like that. And I completely agree with you. I think the, the most important thing is, you know, getting us to a point where we're having meaningful dialogue. And I, I've had, I've had a number of people of all different kind of backgrounds kind of say that, that same thing to me. And it's, it's an interesting thing. Like for me as a white dude, I was in a chief diversity officer role in a fortune, whatever large company at one point, the understanding around the privilege, whether it's white or male or whatever it is, there's a whole bunch of different things. Uh, having a, a, a different perspective, I think probably in the last year in that it doesn't mean that you're necessarily handed things. It doesn't mean that, that, that things are easy for you or you don't work. It just means that as a dude, for instance, um, I've never walked to my car and looked over my shoulder at 9.30 at night. Or as a white guy, I've never been worried about this or that or the other. It hasn't gotten in my way necessarily. It doesn't mean at all that, that, that people are trying to take away any hard work or whatever you do. You just know that you don't have that barrier. You've never dealt with that. And um, I've heard a number of people speak on this. John Amici, who's a, a former NBA player, I think he was the first gay, openly gay uh, NBA player, if I'm not mistaken, has spoken about this a lot and just understanding that privilege. And that the, the one that really, really resonated with me was around women feeling good about being able to go out and wear both their headphones and, and not looking over their shoulder, not worried about someone putting something in their drink when they go to the bathroom at a bar and stuff. And you just don't think about that stuff, but you know, hopefully that conversation continues. Yeah, no, I, I hope so. I, I hope people continue the individual conversations and I, and I hope, you know, the, the companies who all, I think recognize something and, and look inward during, I'd say the, the heat of last summer continue to do what they're doing. And again, don't try and boil, boil the ocean, right? Just try and figure out what you stand for and what small atom-sized piece of this thing you're going to try and attack because that's that's what you can do. And it needs everybody doing a small piece for it to, to gain momentum and for it to have an impact. So you, you don't have to solve all the problems. Just yeah, be very focused, I think, in, in what it is you're trying to go after. I know you're a humble guy. And I also recognize that we're still in a pandemic. So it's not like you've had a chance to meet, you know, as many people as you normally would.
But can we just go ahead and call it and 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 just acknowledge that you're the best dressed guy here at at the Nina Inc. I don't know what to say to that. I mean, I guess you and the ELT uh, ultimately can have the decision on that. So if if you're giving me the vote, then I'll take it. Always dressed to the nines here, Mr. Carl Asher. If there was a movie to be made about a guy born in Ghana, the family picks up, moves to the UK, other parts of the uh, of the family spread out through Europe, ends up living in you know our nation's capital here in the U.S. for a while, meets a native Atlantan who knows everyone in every Publix or Kroger she walks into, has a great career, they have a couple kids, play some soccer, go hiking. What would the name of that movie be? Oh, man. I think the name of that movie would be um, Peace of Mind. That would be a good uh, biography uh, name. And I, I think for me, you know, having had those experiences all those varied experiences at the end of the day, I've still just been seeking um, peace of mind. One thing that one of the things that comes with moving around a lot and also just having a lot a large family, invariably there's turmoil and you, you just go through a lot of change, a lot of struggle, uh, a lot of evolution. And at the end of the day, that's I think what I'm looking for in life. And that's that's really all I want. And so I'm hoping by the end of, of the movie, uh, <laughs> the uh, protagonist has, has reached some semblance of, of peace of mind throughout everything that, that he's gone through. So peace of mind would be the, the title of that, that movie. Carl, if we got a hold of your phone right now, went into whatever app it is that you use, Apple Music, Pandora, whatever it is, what would be the most recently played song on that? Now that I'm coming up to the office I'm, I'm driving 30 minutes in the morning 45 minutes home and uh on the way here i don't know what i was i was listening to npr and something sparked and i i went to my my music app and i started listening to nipsey hustle who's a a rapper that was uh murdered i want to say maybe a year and a half ago a song called double up that was just I always just loved the song, and for whatever reason, I, I felt like listening to it, and I, I think I played it three times on the on the way up here. Prompted by NPR? No, no, no. I, something on NPR sparked the, the, the thought yeah. in my brain. I shut it off, and I, I went to listen to Nipsey yeah. Hustle. But I think that song, and it's kind of like an inspirational song, is indicative of a lot of the songs I listen to. I listen to a lot of, like, mellow R&B you know, like my buddy Paul next door, I, I work out every morning and, you know, I don't listen to like hype music when I work out. I listen to very chill music. I just, I just like to, <laughs> like to relax, man, to be on a, a chill level. So. Well, for the getting to know the podcast audience, that's probably some good advice because this guy is not messing around in the gym. So uh, that I'm going to start listening to like Kenny G or Sade or something just to see if I can start looking more like Carl. I think there's something about, you know, the, 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 the mind being at peace that, that gets you motivated. At least for me, it's like, I don't need a lot of rah, rah. It's just like, let me chill out and let me focus on what I need to do. So more like, more kind of blues R&B than like rap hip hop then? A lot of R&B, a lot of what I would call new wave R&B. It's, it's, it's on the radio, but there's just a lot of new artists. They're very chill, but they're also very expressive in, in what they're saying. It, 
you know, you can get into the words. The music itself is very relaxing, but it also allows you to listen to the words a lot deeper. And a lot of these folks are just excellent writers. And for me, I kind of zone out when I'm listening to that kind of music, which is a weird dynamic because I can do that and still push hard, you know, in the gym or wherever I'm at because because I'm so relaxed and because I'm so chill. Was your first concert in the U.S.? Y yes. You remember who? Who was my first concert? That's a great question. I think it was actually, growing up, I didn't go to a, a lot of concerts. When I lived in D.C., Maryland, there's a, a regional genre of music called go-go. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's called go-go music. It's very percussion-based. It's got drums and congos and a lot of that stuff. And we used to go to a lot of go-go shows, me and my, my friends in high school. That's that's really all we did every weekend was go to go-go shows. And in the D.C. Maryland area, there were two big bands that played all the time. One was called Backyard. One was called Junkyard. So it was the Backyard Band and the Junkyard Band. And it was kind of like, you know, depending on... There were, you were only two types of people. You were either one or the other. They had very different styles, and so you you always liked one or the other. My first like live show was probably a junkyard show, but you know, obviously very very niche. But it was a big part of my my high school scene. At one point, we even started a, a go go band ourselves, myself and my six friends. I think we did like three birthdays, three birthday parties before we disbanded. But. Um, yeah, Go Go was a big part of my my high school life. So that was that was the first show I ever went to was was the Junkyard Band. Were Backyard and or Junkyard were they big enough that like twenty years, fifteen years, whatever later they're they're still doing their thing? Junkyard, I don't know, but I know Backyard is still rocking out. And actually, the leader of the band he ended up being an actor. Uh, he was in that series, the HBO series, The Wire. He ended up being there, but I've. You know, my brother's still there, and he tells me that they're, they're still playing. You go in the D.C. metro area, you talk to anybody, yeah. they all know these bands. You know, they're all my age, which means in high school yeah. they were all going to the same shows, too. So it's still very big and very popular in the area, but it just never really went national, which I think I think a lot of people like. Where uh, specifically in that area were you guys? When I first moved, I lived in D.C., Okay. I live right behind Howard University Hospital, which is on the main Georgia Avenue strip in north yeah. northwest D.C. And then we moved out of D.C. about 30 minutes to Silver Spring, Maryland, which borders D.C. And so we always went back and forth with friends and, and whatnot. My, my wife went to grad school at the University of Maryland, and there, it, it was through the medical school, so it was down downtown in Baltimore. So, like, actually, they filmed The Wire while we were there, kind of back and forth. Talk about traffic. Like, you're... 30 to 45 minute commute, nothing, yeah. I guess it, it was a preparation for Atlanta, even though Atlanta is pretty good right now. The 30 minute morning and your 45 minute evening is a sign that it's it's upon us. I've, I've sat in a little bit of traffic here recently, so. The good thing is though, like the 30 minutes in the morning is leaving the house at eight. And yeah. before I had to leave the house at like five. Right, because yeah. at eight o'clock you can make anywhere yeah, in thirty minutes. So right. I, it re relatively, it's still it's still really good. Well, Carl, at the end of ever getting to know podcast, there's three specific questions that we use. I'm going to hit you with those, and the first of those is what is always found in the Asher family refrigerator at all times. So ginger beer for Moscow mules, or just to like suck down ginger beer. It's kind of me and my wife's 
choice with dinner. We always have this ginger beer. It's called like Evertree is the brand. Yeah, this one is not liquor based, but you know, anybody who drinks ginger beers, it's always about the potency of the ginger. And because yeah. you can't have too much, you can't have too little. But the brand, you know, I was mentioning just just right for us. There's always eggs. The kids love eggs. We always have a mix of berries, kiwis, raspberries, blackberries, blueberries. And like a lot of people, we've gotten into the almond milk thing. So, you know, uh, we've we've dumped our, our regular milk. And we usually have like two, three gallons of milk because the kids eat so much cereal. But then I, I keep a good amount of protein in there too, some chicken, beef, turkey, hot dogs, yeah. um, and some, some fish, which funny enough, when I was a kid, I hated fish, but as I've grown, I've, I've, I've learned to, to like fish. So who's the, uh, who's the primary cook in the house or do you guys share? Not even, not even close. It's me. Yeah. I, I try and cook, uh, you know, at least five days, four days. If, if we order out on Fridays for the kids, I, I think it's, there are studies that say you actually healthier if you cook at home just because you put less things into it. But also I just think it's a good example for the, the kids. Uh, hopefully they learn to cook and, and they have helped out in the past. So that's been, that's been very rewarding. And you, you like doing it? Yeah. I mean, you know, from Noah, when I worked at Calphalon, they used to have courses during, during the middle of the day. And that was some yeah. of the, the first times I learned some techniques and I just continued to do it myself, you know? Yeah. And I Good think point. one of the, the amazing things was when we first moved into a house, me and my wife, I, I realized shortly thereafter that she, she doesn't cook. And so it became a situation of necessity. It's like, somebody's gotta, somebody's gotta cook here. And, uh, I picked it up and been running with it ever since. So well, let's be clear at that time, she had billable hours to chase, right? It's a good point. You, you sound like you've talked to her already. When I reached out to our mutual friend as when you were in the process, um, he told me all these great things that, that he thought about you and, and the, um, the last point he said was his wife, Heather is a lawyer as if that was like the ultimate selling point. Uh, there was no, no opinion on that other than he just wanted me to, me to know that so thank mark for that i appreciate it absolutely amongst the people who know you well carl what would you say you're most famous for famous or infamous for having gone on the prices right and never making it up to the stage just one time are you there for like a whole day or how, how did how'd that work in college we flew out to la to um hang out with some friends i think it was spring break actually and you know as tourists do we try to get on the show uh, it was me and I think two other people. And so the way it works is in the morning you go there, you're basically in a, a bunch of lines with a bunch of other people and the producers walk through and they just do quick fire questions. And I think what they do is they determine from the responses, you know, who's engaging, whatever, who they're going to call. And so when you go in the studio, you sit down and then they say your name and people jump up and run down to the whatever. So I got called up and I was, super excited. You, you have to be, you jump up, you, you run across the row, you run down to the bottom. I was the first person called up and I bid on every item and I, I never got the right price. So I, I never got up to the stage. So I'm on the entire show, but I'm just, I'm down there at the bottom, just guessing the wrong prices. But it made for a good, a good story. When I got back, I actually got written up in the, uh, in the school newspaper when I got, got back. So that's, uh, that's what I'm famous for. Last question for you, Carl. What are you most looking forward to right now? I think, I think like a lot of people, I'm just looking 
forward to some, some normalcy. I mean, um, and I, it's overused and it means different things to different people. But when COVID hit, we locked down pretty hard. You know, I'd say for the first month and a half, two months, the only person left the house was me to go to the grocery store. And it kind of continued. And so we felt like we felt pretty, you know, restricted. And we've been also hesitant, I think, trying to come out of this thing. And so just for our immediate family, we're just looking forward to just being out with the kids, you know, going on vacation, just doing the things that we like to do without worry or hesitancy about any potential repercussions um, from a health perspective. And so that's that's really all, all we want. And we definitely see uh, the light at the end of the tunnel here. So I'm, I'm hoping things continue to go as well as they've been going and, and, and we can get there soon. Completely aligned there. Well, Carl, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule today. It's, it's great to have you on board. Um, very much uh, aligned with our growth platforms. You're, you're driving a really important uh, part of our business for us. So um, thanks for, for jumping in. Thanks for taking the time out of your schedule today to join us on the Getting to Know podcast. Absolutely. Enjoyed it. Thanks. Thank you. For those of you in the listening audience, thanks again for joining us. And we'll talk to you in two more weeks.